This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. From the Headstuff Podcast Network, welcome to the world according to Wikipedia, the podcast that explores the weird, wonderful and baffling world of Wikipedia, the people who write it and what makes them tick, with me, Fanula, and me, Rebecca. In this episode, we talked to Ludovic Galuff, the winner of the 20th Year Honorary Award as part of the Wikimedian of the Year 2021. Having spoken last episode to the newcomer of the year, 2021, this episode we are chatting to a long-serving Wikimedian. Yeah, he is quite the long-serving Wikimedian and quite the journey he's been on. Yes, he has so much experience across the movement as an editor, organiser in governance and policy. Not much he doesn't know really about all things Wikimedia. Gotta ask, was it intimidating interviewing him? As we say here in Ireland, not at all. Not at all. Uh, I've gotten to know Ludwig over the years through conferences and other Wikimedia events. And to say he is unassuming is a massive understatement. Uh, he has, But he has a genuine curiosity and passion about the work that he does with Wikimedia projects. And crucially, the knack of bringing other people along with him. Oh, that is good. Like, that's what you want from somebody who's a leader or at least um, an elder statesman, for want of a better word. Just, just a good congregator of active people, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. you know, he's just good at yeah. Getting people in and, and yeah, getting them started and yeah, and giving them a sense of ownership over things. I think, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a it's a pretty special skill to have. And now for a random rule for this episode. We have spoken in the past about conflict of interest and how if you have an article about yourself, you shouldn't edit it. But did you know that there are special rules about biographies of living people? No, I didn't. Uh, but you say rules there. How many How many rules are there? Is this like one of those expanding things? Like you've got like brackets, rule, curly brackets, square brackets, and there's multiple rules within the original brackets. Well, you'll never see square brackets in the text of Wikipedia because square brackets do a thing in Wikipedia. They create links. So mm-hmm. no uses. And equally, curly Q brackets, curly brackets, or curly Qs, as we used to call them. One of my art teachers called them that. Um, they do templates. So equally, if you're reading text on Wikipedia, you will not see curly Q brackets either. You'll just see the plain old bog standard brackets. But your point is taken. This is a policy rather than a singular rule. Mm-hmm. And it's often referred to by its acronym of course, BLP, with the shortcut. So if you're interested in reading this, and I'm sure you all are, you know, pause pause the podcast, go off. And so the shortcut, if you're looking for it in your search bar in Wikipedia is um, for the policy page is WP colon BLP. All right. So the too long didn't read version of this policy is that when writing about living people, Wikipedians need to take extra care and pay extra attention to verifiability neutrality, and the avoidance of original research. BLP. Oh, sorry, I'm a bit slow. Uh, biographies of living people. Get it. So I presume this is where you kind of need to ensure your sources are of a high standard and not just something that your mate wrote about for his thesis or for, you know, something like that. It needs to be a bit more kind of official. Or equally, like, a rumor that's on Twitter or, yeah. you know, kind of gossip, basically. So we ensure that you're not... As Wikipedians, we're not re-reporting gossip speculation or outright libelous claims about somebody. 
Okay. What kind of counts as a good source? And actually, for that matter, because you were saying it needs to take extra care, pay attention to verifiability, neutrality, and avoidance of original research. What do you mean by original research? What like what like what is original research and what's wrong with it? Oh, Fanula, so much to, so much to deal here or unpack, as us really insufferable academics sometimes say. But firstly, original research. Okay. So question is, has there ever been an encyclopedia that published original research or thought? So, okay. So I, I think I might get it now. So Wikipedia can't be the source. Exactly. That was my exactly. misunderstanding. So you're not referring to somebody else's original research, which might count as a high. Mm, no, you are. You are. Can't. So think about it this way. So primary or original source material mm-hmm. is... Um, an interview with a raw interview with somebody, like with no interpretation, basically. So a particular archive or in some cases, maybe a tweet or something like that. Mm-hmm. What Wikipedia wants is secondary sources. So news are news outlets. And when we're talking about verifiability and reliability, we're talking about newspapers, so not tabloids, but newspapers of record, as we would call them, you know, the Times, that sort of thing. So we're talking about state broadcasters, depending on what state they're coming from, obviously. Yes, certain states are their media is notoriously unreliable. Exactly, exactly. So taking all of those things into account, um, but also then journal articles, documentaries, that sort of thing. And increasingly, news outlets have podcasts, so podcasts can be cited as well. But secondary sources, because they have interpreted the primary source material. And Wikipedias then, and all encyclopedias, are what's referred to as a tertiary source. So they are taking the content from a secondary source and collating them, summating them, and pushing them out as, as a tertiary source. But the simplest thing to think of is that, you know, no encyclopedia in history has ever, you've never read about something for the very first time in the encyclopedia, and Wikipedia is exactly the same. I mean, you say that I've never read anything for the first time in an encyclopedia, but you'd be wrong because I spent an awful lot of my childhood reading world book encyclopedias. You're just being willful now. What I mean is a piece of information never turned up for the first time in an encyclopedia. <laughs> okay. But I will refer back to the fact that I have read many things in an encyclopedia for the first time. But yes, you're correct. And in Wikipedia, I do tend to read a thing and then click on the link to the to the actual secondary source, as you've now educated me, edumacated me. But it's it's you know it's a very simple thing and it and it it really is for from the point of view of Wikipedia is to ensure that there are no false claims being mm-hmm. spread about somebody, um, but also you know that that somebody can't you know as a as a person with a Wikipedia article it can't hurt you or you know kind of harm you in any way or spread malicious or misinformation about you. So that's why when say I write a new article that's about somebody who is living, it gets tagged as a biography of a living person, which gives shortcuts to that policy and things like that. And it just flags for other editors. You just need to take extra care and attention. Headstuff Podcast Studios have helped produce some of the finest Irish podcasts, including our own one, which is obviously, as you know, one of the finest. They have studios in Dublin City Centre and they've been really good to work with and help with our production, editing, all of that kind of stuff. So if you're looking to produce audio content, they're really worth looking into and seeing if there's something that they can provide for you. Listen more for some details. The Podcast Studios is the home of the Headstuff Podcast Network. It's where lots of our shows are recorded and we work on editing, promotion, videos, live shows and lots more. As a podcast production company with three state-of-the-art studios for audio and video in Dublin city centre, 
we can work with you to tell great stories in a professional and engaging way. From government organizations to charities, arts groups to international brands, entrepreneurs to hobbyists, we've worked with everybody and we can help you to get the word out. Whether you need studio time, you're hosting a live stream or webinar, or you need support with editing or marketing, we can tailor a package for you. For more info, head to thepodcaststudios.ie. We are now going to talk to Ludwig about his work in the Wikimedia movement since 2005. Hi, uh, I'm Lodewijk. I've been contributing to Dutch language Wikipedia since 2005. In 2011, I was one of the people who started Wikilost Monuments. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lodewijk. It's always a delight to speak with you and uh, really excited to start off our third season with uh, the the 20-year honoree of, uh, of, of Wikimedia in 2021, which feels like a very long time ago already, I think, <laughs> in some ways. Yeah, it's, it's like even, even 2005 feels like forever. Um, so I, I can only imagine how hard it must be for people who have been around all the way since the beginning. Indeed, indeed. At least you had the grace to kind of leave it a few years before you you started dominating it, you know? <laughs> it was very considerate of you. <laughs> so if we're going to cast our minds back, um, how did you get started contributing to Wikimedia projects? Do you remember that first edit? Yes, it was like I, for high school, I had to write this um, this project. Uh, it's like a research project uh, look, looking into like how do you call it, galvanization of steel. And uh, I, I wrote like a little piece for, about it for school. And I, I found it such a waste to let it just collect dust in a drawer somewhere. Um, so together with my friend, we uh, we decided to put that up, um, to release that under a free license, put it up on Wikipedia. Of course, you have to spread it out over different articles and like re- rework it and stuff. But it, it was a very gratifying process because suddenly... You, you've already put in the work and now people can actually read it. Some pieces of it are still there on Dutch Wikipedia. And then I started to rework different uh, different uh, pieces that I wrote for high school um, and did the same thing. Um, so about Sinterklaas, about, uh, I think I wrote something about Egypt at some point, um, like little pieces here and there. And it, it, it got me hooked. Um, and then you start writing about new stuff. And that's actually even more exciting. Like back in 2005, it was still this time that uh, you could write about a lot of different topics, especially in Dutch, where people would, where, where basically nobody had ever written about it. And um, you were the first one to write it down and just put, put a little core there. And then other people would go with it and they would run with the, with the content and they would make it better. And that's just such a gratifying experience to see. So you were aware enough at that point in high school to know that Wikipedia was a thing and, and the edit button was there because it must have been the first few years as well as Dutch Wikipedia was only just been founded. I think 2005 was that that time that the the, the awareness of Wikipedia mm. flipped. I think in most countries in the, in the Western world, um, suddenly like people slowly became aware of it. Um, I think I was slightly at the peak of that wave. Um, I think December 2005 is when it really flipped with like that big uh, Taylor issue. And then there was the um, the nature study that came out where they compared Wikipedia articles with Britannica. And I think that was like the big the, the big moment uh, in the Netherlands, at least, like where people realized like, hey, wait a second, um, there's this useful resource out there that we can use that we can uh, look into. And we know how and then people start the name recognition started to improve a lot. So was there a moment when you went from from editing Wikipedia? into taking photographs, which then, of course, led you to what you're best known for, which is your involvement in Wikilove's monuments. Was there kind of a process of evolution for yourself as an editor going from kind of high school student into something that was involved in, say, the movement and, and organization and that sort of thing? Yeah, I think so. Funny enough, I'm not a great photographer. 
Um, I like organizing. Um, I like bringing people together, and um, I like I like photos, but I'm terrible at taking them myself. So I I love getting other people to do it for me, um, and then making sure that the best people the best get rewarded somehow. Um, but as part of uh, my evolution, I think that was mostly in 2005, 2006. I started getting involved with the, the new chapter at the time, Wikimedia Netherlands, um, and we started to organize all kind of activities. I think in 2009 we organized we organized Wikilove's art, and that was so much work because we had to collaborate with all these museums and get access to it. So, sorry, let me rephrase that. So, in 2009 we organized Wikilove's art. And in Wikilove's art, we invite people to come to museums and take photos of the of the collaborating museums. But it means that you have to uh, sign an agreement and, and and negotiate all kind of terms with all kind of museums. We had like 40 museums participating, and there was so much work involved in that. And luckily, we had a, a partner organization who took care of most of the work there. Um, but it made us realize, like, if this partner organization is not up for this again next year, this is just not going to happen again. There's no way that we can do this as a bunch of volunteers. Um, so we were looking for a different topic. And in the Dutch Wikipedia, there was like a, a group of uh, Wikipedians was very actively making these lists of monuments already, these lists of national heritage buildings. And they were uh, they were just using the, 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 the government list, um, but they were trying to collect photos from it and they were trying to collect the data from it. Um, so we used that as a starting point for a competition because it's much easier to access. You don't have to negotiate anything because you can photograph it from the public road. Um, it's it's really easy uh, uh, to identify them because we had 60,000 of them in the Netherlands. So there's always something nearby. Um, it's it's so it feels local as well. It has like this this feeling um, that you're photograph you're discovering heritage that was always around you, but you never really realized was something valuable. And you can help Wikipedia at the same time. You can you can just give it this boost, uh, contribute this photo, and then see it appear somewhere on Wikipedia. And I think that really excited people. Um, so in 2010, that's what we did instead of Wikilove's art, and then it got out of control became a vector and traveled all, all, all around the world. <laughs> is it is it the most is it the thing that you're still most proud of uh when you kind of look back on, on the 20 on the 20 years almost almost or is there something else that you point to as kind of something you're equally as proud of that perhaps people don't know about as much? I think my I, I'm about proud is a big word. Um for Wikileaks Monuments I'm proud of the work we did all together because it's hundreds of people that do this. It's not just me, not at all. Um, it's really the collaboration as, as a movement is definitely something I'm proud of, but um, mostly proud to be part of it. And I think just being part of Wikipedia, Wikipedia being such a monumental effort to to collect and to to structure knowledge. Um, I think that is, in the end, way more in, uh, important to me as an identity or as a uh, as, as a pride factor, because it, even though it's, my contribution to it is much smaller, as a group, is such a much it's, it's such a bigger effort um, than anything else uh, I've, I've done. And of course, it spawned so many kind of ancillary competitions. The Wiki loves, which as you say, kind of started with the art. But I think a lot of people are not. You know, if you were in the movement maybe the past ten years, you may not be aware of the Wiki loves art coming first, because as you say, it kind of comes with that level of bureaucracy, and it was probably due to the Netherlands always having a very strong relationship with Glams that that was the first kind of uh, experiment maybe with that sort of work. But then the, kind of the realisation, as you say, kind of what's slightly more egalitarian, what doesn't require that level of bureaucracy that perhaps would stop a competition happening year on year and doing something that is more accessible um, yeah. in, in a very fundamental way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the, the, the 
having a competition that's relatively easy to organize is is really important because it's a good starting point for a group to take on more serious work and you can then grow it and then like build on top of it. Uh, Wikilaz Art gave us a lot in the Netherlands, by the way. And I think the same is true in New York, where they actually did before us. But I think it, it gave us a lot of relationships and it gave us a lot of, uh, but that that goes away the second time. Like that is a, a, a big win you make the first time you organize it. Um, and especially in that frame of time, I think at that time point, glam was not a big thing yet. Um, and museums and, and were especially museums, but probably also the other uh, glass, the the all, all the museums were very hesitant to work together with us as a movement because like they're just a bunch of volunteers how can we trust them to take care of their heritage we still had to prove ourselves in that sense yeah that it was worth and, and those conversations are still happening in various different places around the world because you know things and attitudes are different depending on where you are and, and, and who the players are that's an interesting point to make yeah there is still a certain level of i don't know if it's skepticism or cynicism or just an anxiety around that sort of work still depending on on who you're working with um so wikilove's monuments is the the longest running photo competition on, on uh, within the wikimedia movement don't have to tell you that and uh, since 2014 ireland has taken part um and it's definitely one of our our favorite i think um campaigns that we do and people the international community as well do seem to really enjoy seeing the irish um the irish images each year as well probably uh, i'd say you know, probably contributes to, to net tourism. Um, you have a suspicion there as well. But what would you like to see Wikilove's monuments achieve in the future? Because I think, you know, there has been kind of conversations in the movement around once you've done it for a few years, how do you keep it fresh? How do you kind of bolster participation? You know, how do you kind of approach it in a new way? And, you know, so where do you see it going and why do you think it's still still important? I think as a as a, a group of organizers, and that's again like that's that's like a few hundred people probably, we need to really rethink like what do we want to achieve with Week Plus Monuments? Um, we've used, we've achieved amazing things like millions of, of photos and, and millions of sites collected in this data over a million of sites collected in this database um, that is actually the first in its of its kind in the world, right? Like we have the biggest database of, of heritage. A built heritage, I think, in the world. And it's, 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 we need to think a little bit about like, where do we want to go from here? Because it, it, it's a great tool to get people engaged with Wikipedia. It's a great tool to organize something. But in some places, it's not working as well as another. Um, I think in, in Europe and in, in North America and in, in maybe South America to some extent, it works great. Um, in some African countries, it's really struggling because that relationship with the government, that relationship with like, with heritage is different. Um, but also the legal situation might be different. Freedom of panorama is a big issue because if you cannot photograph buildings, that basically means you uh, are limited to photographing only stuff that is older than 100 years. If there is no freedom of panorama, if you can only photograph stuff that's 100 years, in some countries that takes you back to colonial era. And that means that you have a very limited view of like what is the cultural heritage of that country. Or you have mostly uh, colonial uh, colonial buildings, I, I would I should say, um, and that makes it much harder to to have an equitable conversation of like what what is heritage in this situation? What what do we want to show for uh, to represent this country? Um, and that's something we need to think through as a as a community because it it might mean that we just need different definitions. We need we need different ways to think about it. Maybe we need more activism to um, to get actually that freedom of panorama. Um, accepted it, there's there's a lot of a lot of question marks there like i'm not sure what it would look like but it's a conversation that the, the wikimedia uh, the wikilos monuments uh, community needs to to start having 
Um, and I think I know the international team is taking a leading role in that already. Yeah, I suppose it's it's in those early days, kind of thinking about what, and even just the language of monument and monumentality, and what that what that can be translated into, and and what that means then for for different contexts. Um, I remember some of those initial conversations at some of the Wikimania's kind of in the mid 2000s, 2010s, where it was kind of spreading to those other parts of the world. And that's where you start maybe seeing Wikiloves Africa and other campaigns starting to emerge to kind of fill that um, that more intangible space, that more, I suppose, lived experience space, as opposed to this focus on on, on the built. And then Wikiloves Earth then from that as well. And we see a lot of parts of the world that traditionally may not have been represented in previous campaigns doing very well in international campaigns, you know, with those at the high level jury setting because of, I suppose, the iconic nature of landscape from parts of Asia and Africa. So yeah, it's, it's as you say, it's probably, it's not something that's going to be, there's no easy kind of conversation around it or kind of a fix that's going to work for everybody. But I suppose just a, an awareness and a sensitivity um, will be ongoing. Yeah. And I think it's, it's the, um... Having these these other campaigns that are not overlapping necessarily with Wikilos monuments, but that touch on like different topical areas, that I think that is one of the great innovations from the past years. Um, it, it's been on, it's been going for a while now, but I think it really shows that there's such a breadth to 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 heritage. Like there's natural heritage, there's built heritage, there's intangible heritage, there's like so many different parts of society that we that we should try to capture. And I think the only reason why we we chose built heritage was really because it's so well defined. Built heritage doesn't run away from you. You don't have to ask permission from the building if you can photograph it in most countries. Um, it, it's, it's just it's just such an easy starting point um, to, to start having a photo competition and to encourage people to participate um, and, and to just shoot a photo, upload it and um, and and move on and like and maybe get sucked into this movement that is really exciting and uh, maybe edit a few articles and I think for the natural heritage that's a little bit of a tougher definition matter uh, intangible is even harder um, so I have great admiration for the people who managed to make that work because it's definitely a challenge um, but it's it's very valuable to capture the whole spectrum of human endeavor I would say. So he's 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 done a lot. Yeah, that's that's one way of putting it. <laughs> I think expand expansive, um, yeah. far-reaching, uh, literally record-breaking in the case of WikiLeaks monuments. Uh, it is certified by Guinness Book of Records as the largest international ph- photographic competition, and mm-hmm. I read that fairly early on in its um, lifetime. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's been going for a long time now, but um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty landmark. To be fair, that that is, I I have to admit that, and and again, because WikiLove Monuments is one of the earliest ones of that kind of thing, the popularity of it allows for um, the development of other WikiLoves, like for example, as we discussed in previous episodes, WikiLoves Africa, and you know, like WikiLoves Heritage or Culture. There's you know those WikiLoves kind of Folklore, that- uh, WikiLoves Earth, WikiLoves Earth is going on at the moment in Ireland Ooh. on on our Green Isle. Um, and you can check out all the other countries that it's running in. Uh, and yeah. Wikilove's Monuments, as we've discussed in the past, runs during September. And again, you can see all of the, the additions in a few months' time of where, mm-hmm. where it'll crop up. Yeah. So, uh, and you kind of wouldn't, would wonder what Wikimedia or Wikipedia would be like without the likes of Ludovic, you know, shaping its early days. It's kind of, and it's interesting, you know, you get, you, you get to know people as, um, 
bit like on social media is kind of like avatars or, yeah. or emails, uh, you know, email addresses, because there are mailing lists associated with all sorts of Wikimedia activities, the Wikimedia I mailing list. So we're, we're a little bit, I suppose we're, we're a little bit, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? A bit of a throwback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it comes these things. There is, there is an IRC. Luddite-like. No. There is, there is an IRC. What, what's it called again? IRC. It's just yeah. IRC. Just yeah, it, never. Like, so if there was a Usenet board, then I would be well impressed. But we're going to, uh, yeah. Wikipedia is old. It's not that old. It's not that old. Oh, I miss the days of alt.barney.i.i.i. I am old. I'm older than Wikipedia. Anyway, if you want to hear more ramblings from myself and Rebecca, deeper ramblings maybe, or actually extended interviews from our, our highly qualified interviewees, which are more important than anything that myself or Rebecca will, will do, you can catch the the extended interviews on our Headstuff Plus community. Um, you can become a member of that community for just five euro a month plus VAT. You could just go to headstuffpodcast.com, sign up and you get access to all of the Headstuff Network podcasts and all of their bonus material. But you could choose us as your very special podcast that you want to subscribe to and give us either 100% of your money, 50% of your money, but mostly 100% of your money. So Headstuff Podcasts, dot com and sign up five euro a month plus fat bargain in these uh, inflationary days so uh at this point in the episode i usually ask who is the hero of the episode rebecca this episode's hero is Wiki Project Video Games, which passed a major Wikidata milestone in the past month. Yeah, I've actually never heard of this Wiki Project. Okay, fair. Hands up. I've heard of very few Wiki Projects, but I've also not heard of this particular Wiki Project. We've chatted about and mentioned Wiki Projects before, but the short version is that they are projects that help editors with similar interests find each other on Wikimedia projects. So there are Wiki Projects for everything you can think of including video games. Yeah. So for this particular wiki project, what is the milestone that has that passed? As of June 2022, there are now 50,000 video games included on Wikidata. Wow, 50,000 video games. And I can imagine actually with the explosion of indie games and everything going on at the moment, I've got so many indie games on my Steam and I have not played half of them. Uh, it's not going to stop anytime soon. Yeah. Definitely not. The graph is is only going upwards, it has yes. to be said. Um, so there are lots of very cool ways that you can break down that data, that being one of them. Um, mm-hmm. But for example, you can also look at it by platform, publication date, genre, or country of origin. Hey. I wonder how many are Irish. <laughs> so in theory, actually, I should be able to find the details of the earliest very terrible computer game that I played. Well, not the earliest, but the one there. The areas for the computer that I owned, because I obviously played some Amiga stuff before then. So I'm just going to frantically search PC games of the early 90s now on that. Tap, 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 tap. Commodore 64 for life. That's uh, mm-hmm. all I'll say to that. But exactly, though, when it comes to PC games, I found all of my favorites. So the various Civs, going mm. back to Civ 1, obviously, Black and White, SimCity 2000, and Blade Runner. And that that's just on PC. I believe the game that we had, because we only had one game, aside from Snake, which was built into the computer, was North and South or something like that. 
It wasn't good. But actually, going back to what you just said and digressing a lot, I remember waiting for Black and White to come out because <laughs> it was being developed by the same people who did Dungeon Master and oh, not Dungeon Master, Dungeon Keeper, uh, Dungeon Keeper. Um, and Dungeon Keeper was one of my favorite games. I just loved Dungeon Keeper, particularly if you had if you're losing control, the run of your dungeon. The little imps would go and graffiti your walls and then other people, other little beings would go, your dungeon's crap, Keeper. And and it's just, I really liked it. It really appealed to me. And we don't have as many games like that. That's why I think I like the indie games that are a little bit more tongue in cheek and less kind of serious and uh, AAA and blood must, you know, like I want more comedy in my games. Yeah, realistic and, and very, very serious. Yes. Black and white is a lot of people's white whale gaming wise. Mm. Uh, for a mix of reasons, it has never been republished or emulated uh, mm. online. So I do still, I honestly, I still miss that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think 20 years I think on. I had a giant tiger as a god. Well, there was a demo uh, you yeah. could download. So nearly every, you know, so you could pay half yeah, the yeah. first level or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I think you could only have the tiger in yeah. that version. There was a lion and then a wolf as well. Ooh. And then there was more. And I had black and white too as well. Because Okay, you know, yeah. Yeah. I was a nerd, and there were yeah, there were more animals in that, but yeah, the lion was the yeah, the lion was the best one. Yeah, well, that was a worthy hero of the episode, and allowed us to nerd out about old games uh, back when things. I've actually looked up that game now, and it was ter- even now looking at it was terrible. But I like looking up the games. They show you the, the 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 box covers, and the box covers were amazing artwork. And then you play the game, and the game was like stick figures in eight bit. Uh, which was amazing at the time, but also, you know, yeah. Balderdash. If you want an example of the cover art completely misrepresenting what we were going to play, it's like, I don't know if I find these butterflies really menacing. Several levels in, these butterflies are really menacing. It was just kind of weird pul- pulsating <laughs> things. Yeah. 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 We're going to have to stop this now before I get on talking about mods because um, I also played them because I was a nerd. Um, yeah. This much we know is true. And that was the world according to Wikipedia. Join us in two weeks. You can subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Follow us on Twitter at world underscore Wikipedia. Thanks to Patricia O'Flaherty for our artwork and Headstuff for production assistance. Go to headstuffpodcast.com for show notes and more information and to support the Headstuff Plus network. You can find me personally at Ickle underscore Tato on the Twitters or actually anywhere else in the world. And you can find me on Twitter as Restless Curator. I was too eager. <laughs> This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.